guys, we're in the middle of a pandemic and these are trying times. It's hard on our mental health, our mental state. And this is why I love our sponsor today, BetterHelp. They're the largest online counseling platform worldwide. They change the way people get help with facing life's challenges by providing convenient, discreet, affordable access to licensed therapists. BetterHelp makes professional counseling available anytime, anywhere, through a computer, tablet, or smartphone. It's brilliant. Sign up today. Go to betterhelp.com backslash solving healthcare and get 10% off sign up fees. COVID has affected us all, and with all the negativity surrounding it, it's often hard to find the positive. One of the blessings it has given us is the opportunity to build an avenue for creating change, starting right here in our community. Discussing topics that affect us most, such as racism in healthcare, maintaining a positive mindset, creating change, the importance of advocacy, and the many lessons we have all learned from COVID. If you or your organization are interested in speaking engagements, send a message to quadcast99 at gmail.com, reach out on Facebook at Quadcast, or online at drquadjo.ca. Welcome to Solving Healthcare. I'm Quadjo Caramante. I'm an ICU and palliative care physician here in Ottawa and the founder of Resource Optimization Network. We are on a mission to transform healthcare in Canada. I'm going to talk with physicians, nurses, administrators, patients, and their families because inefficiencies, overwork, and overcrowding affects us all. I believe it's time for a better healthcare system that's more cost-effective, dignified, and just for everyone involved. Quadcast Nation, check this, okay? We have, I'm going to call this man a legend because he's, he's legit revolutionizing the way we're thinking about what we're eating. You know what I'm saying? And, and what I love about having Ted on the show is some of these, this advice is, in my opinion, pretty intuitive. You know, thinking about your protein intake as, a, as your staple, I think, is money. So, Ted, welcome to the podcast. Oh, wow, man. Great to talk to you. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Can I just say, I mean, not to be all kind of like, I don't want to start off on a weird foot, but boy, you're jacked. Man, I didn't realize you were so jacked in the flesh. You know what I'm saying? Those that are watching on video, he's wearing the black tank top and I'm just like, I'm automatically flexing right now just to be able to be, to compete. It's so ridiculous. Um, (laughs) But uh, maybe Ted, like just talk to us about how you, like what was your journey into thinking about you know, your nutrition, specifically even the protein to energy ratio, like what, what led you to this path? Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, uh, mostly my, my patients kind of led me down this path and uh, it started, you know, 20 years ago with a, a low carber on an Atkins diet who just magically lost a bunch of weight and reversed his diabetes. And um, that really got me thinking that, hey, there are people out there who change their diet in some way and have some super magical outcomes in terms of, you know, reversing chronic disease and losing a bunch of weight. And uh, so my, my whole career, I've just personally and professionally been fascinated with what diet changes produce in terms of health outcomes. And I've really been trying to codify exactly what it is about all these diet religions that allows people to eat less and lose weight without really starving. And uh, I I think all of this research has kind of brought me to where I'm at, which is mostly looking at ways to improve satiety per calorie. So you automatically eat less and lose weight and reverse insulin resistance and uh, all these chronic degenerative diseases that are downstream from that. And yeah, that's, that's how I got here. That's what I'm, that's what I'm doing. Nice. Nice. And so, so I guess you saw it firsthand about, you know, within your patients, like you could have legit reverse disease by what you eat. And, but you did find that common thread about, you know, insulin resistance being, uh, or like insulin being a driver of, of some of the inflammation and, and some of the, the negative consequences to, to, to life, I guess. Um, so but what led to specifically looking at protein? Because, like, you never hear about this. Like, you always hear about carb, you talk about fat ratio, like, all this stuff. But no one talks about protein except for people that maybe are looking to gain muscle mass. So, yeah, I'm just curious to how you got there. Right, right. Well, it, 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 there's only a handful of things that you can do with your diet 
that have been proven to increase satiety per calorie and just automatically make uh, omnivore mammals eat less calories. And as it turns out, protein percentage is probably the single greatest dietary factor when it comes to auto-regulating caloric intake. I mean, you can basically take any omnivore mammal and increase the protein percentage of its diet, and it will automatically eat less calories and automatically lose body fat. We have studies like this in rats and mice and dogs and humans and primates. And uh, the, the number one factor is really protein percentage of the diet. You can look at every single study ever done in the world in the history of medical literature looking at protein percentage and ad-lib energy intake, and nothing else comes close. The protein percentage of your diet is the single greatest factor when it comes to ad-lib caloric intake. Like You'll just automatically eat less calories if your protein percent is higher. And this has really been just staring us in the face in the medical literature since forever. And I don't know why we got entangled up in low carb versus low fat, both of which are completely horizontal to the real factor, which is protein percentage. I don't know how we got so deep into plant versus animals, <clears throat> which is this really ridiculous false dichotomy that has, again, once, uh, once again, it's perfectly tangential to the real factor, which is protein percentage. So we have people just endlessly squabbling about these carb versus fat, um, plants versus animals nonsense. That's really just not, it's just a smoke screen. You know, it just, mm. it's a distraction. And um, it took me a long time to figure out that those are just false dichotomies that aren't really that important. I mean, I, I've been every diet religion there is, so I've done it all wrong, like for decades. And, and so it, it took me a while to get to where I'm at. And I mean, the, the thing that I, like, as you mentioned, I've heard you talk now several times, it, it was just kind of like, it's funny, you have that epiphany, because then you, you run through the diets, you run through the Atkins, you run through keto, you run through low carb. And there is that thread of often like to be able to get your nourishment and so forth. It's, it's protein. Protein is a heavy component of that. And, um, and so like to, to hear that is, it's like that you've, you found the 80, 20 of, of, of nutrition essentially to, to the, you know, in terms of healthy eating. And so one thing I, I've, I've been curious to hear your thoughts on, like if you're thinking about your, your protein ratio you know, like when it comes to like a vegan or or vegetarian diets, like isn't that pretty hard to to be able to have that high protein level? Like, can you still and you know this not to be so black and white, but can you still have a healthy diet, relatively speaking, if you are not eating meat? Yeah, absolutely, and so the. The reality is that high protein uh, is the most effective factor for automatically eating less, but there are a handful of other things you can do with your diet that will automatically allow you a higher satiety per calorie. Uh, one of them is just very low carb. Another one is very low fat. Another one is low energy density or high volume of food per calorie. Um, and then you've got uh Basically, uh, anything that allows you to increase the weight and volume of your food, but not increase the calories. So that's protein, fiber, water, all of these things are effective. Mm -hmm. And so that's a little bit of a distractor as well. So you have people who go on these plant-based diets where the energy density is super low. You know, you've got your Samane eating, you know sweet potatoes or something like that. And the energy density is, you know, one calorie per gram or less. And so you can eat, you know, five pounds of food and it's 2000 calories. And so these very, very low protein diets will also effectively let people lose weight and improve insulin sensitivity, even if the protein percentage is lower than the standard American diet. So you kind of have to look at it from a couple of different angles. Protein percentage is the most important factor. Uh, I mean, the most powerful factor, I'm going to say. But you can also get there by just lowering energy density really low by eat, either being very low carb, very low fat, high fiber, high water, hmm. uh, or something like that. 
So, I mean, if we reverse engineer this bad boy, so it sounds like satiety is the is the principal thing that we're focusing on, and and, and don't let me put words in your mouth. And like, but but if we're focusing on satiety, you know, when you, I mean, you just think about, you know, the amount of calories per gram in in a, in when it comes to protein or or what have you. But having something that is a, um, that will get you full but it's not calorie dense, you know, like when I think of this classically, I think always of chicken breast. I mean, uh, not to be too simplistic, but that's like my go-to like low, like, like obviously can fill you, but not high in, in calories relative to, you know, say, um, I don't know, the equivalent in peanut butter or the equivalent to, I don't know, bread, like or, uh, most carbs, that is the, the essence of it, like the, to keep you full, focusing on on whether it is protein, whether it is high fiber, but it's to keep you full. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you, if you look at any two people uh, who are vastly different in their body fat or in their fasting insulin level, uh, both of these people are going to eat to satiety. They're just eating until they're not hungry, more or less. And the real difference between them is one person either expended more calories or managed to eat to satiety while eating less calories. And so unless you're factoring a bunch of exercise into the equation, the main strategy um, for weight loss is getting the same level of satiety while eating less calories. You know what I mean? And at the end of the day, there's only a couple levers you can pull. It's higher protein, higher fiber, higher water, higher volume, lower energy density, lower carbs, lower fat, lower alcohol, uh, higher nutrient, micronutrient density like minerals. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the PE diet is just honestly a way of combining all of those into one numerical strategy. You know what I mean? Which is basically Mm -hmm. getting protein and fiber um, and weighted volume higher uh, and getting net carbs and fats lower. Amazing. So, I mean, so are you then essentially, like, cause we've had Jason Fong on the show and, you know, when it comes to, you know, diets, it's, it's always hard to know who to, what to listen to. Like, you know, the data out there, it's, it's not always easy to follow. He's a big believer saying like calorie in calorie out is not, you know, it's not, the best metric, you know, and maybe things that are more likely to spike your insulin. So like a hundred calories isn't the same. If you have a hundred calories in like an ice cream versus you had in chicken breast, you're likely to have a, you know, uh, store more fat if it was, uh, you know, higher in glycemic index. Are you, where are you in terms of that kind of realm? Right, right. So I'm a little bit of a calorie denier just because of protein. So for example, we have studies where they separate two groups of people and feed them the same calories. But if one group has a higher protein percentage, they will literally, without changing anything else, get higher lean mass and lower fat mass, even with the exact same calories. Right. So I have studies where people ate higher calories but if a much higher percentage of their diet was protein, they literally had more fat loss and more lean muscle gain, which is recomp. That's the holy grail. That's what everyone's looking for. Higher lean mass, lower fat mass. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so to me, it's not about calories. I mean, if, if we took uh, someone who's overweight and gave them the same amount of calories, but just a massively huge protein percentage, they are literally going to lose body fat and gain lean mass, even if they're not exercising. I mean, the studies are pretty clear that even with nothing else changing, if you just repartition some of your calories into protein, you will get this body recomposition, which is completely amazing. So from that point of view, I'm a bit of a calorie denier. But Mm. when it comes to non-protein calories like fat and carbs, uh, I am a Definitely a huge believer in calories, Uh, except I have a mechanical engineering background. So I like to think of it as actual mass in terms of carbon atoms, right? So like every time you ingest a food, it has a certain number of carbon atoms in it. Uh, Now, when you're talking about protein, those carbon atoms might be incorporated in your lean mass. And so uh, you could actually have fat mass, even though you're eating more, you know, carbons. But when it comes to non-protein energy calories, like fat and carbs, 
every single carbon atom that you ingest that's absorbed through your, the wall of your small intestine can only exit your body when you exhale it after burning it in your mitochondria. So you're eating these fats and these carbs. You literally have to exhale every single one of those carbons. And if you eat more of them than you're exhaling, you will literally store them all as fat. I don't care where your insulin's at. Um, I don't really care about what else is happening to you metabolically. These um, carbon atoms cannot be destroyed, right? They're either being stored as fat or you're exhaling them. And the way to exhale more carbons is to exercise, of course, and speed up your metabolism. Um, and then the way to not use many carbons is to eat less uh, non-protein energy that's carbs and fats. So you're trying to eat a, a higher weight and volume of food so you're not hungry with fewer actual carbons in them, which means you're eating low-carb carbs like you know green vegetables or uh, low-fat fats, which is you know eggs and salmon or something with fat in it that's more higher in protein and water and minerals and uh, basically lower total fat and lower net carbs. Interesting. So like when it comes to, when you see those like online or maybe even they come into your clinic with those, with trying to do the keto approaches and they're talking about butter to, to talk about mad amount of bacon and so forth. What's running through your mind grapes? Like, are you thinking like you guys are out to lunch? Are you, you are you still seeing results with some of those guys? Yeah, well, absolutely. So like any, the second you cut out all your carbs, you just increased your protein percentage. You just increased your uh, micronutrient density. You did a bunch of good stuff. And that's why a ton of people go on keto and have weight loss. And we have all these anecdotes about it. The problem is refined fats are garbage for satiety per calorie. Like they're Mm -hmm. the very, very worst protein gives you the highest satiety per calorie. Uh, Carbs are, well, whole food fats are probably tied with carbs for a second. Um, but then refined fat is horrible for satiety per calorie. It's probably even worse than refined carbs because energy density is so high. Um, and we also have studies showing that in overweight people, these refined fats are the least satiating macro of all, probably because these people already have a bunch of fat uh, available to them all the time. Mm. So refined fats are bad. And that's why the whole keto verse uh, loses 20 pounds instantly and then just stalls out really hard, way fatter than they want to be. And mm. I just have tons and tons of people who go keto immediately have huge benefits. They're not as tied to food. They're more fat adapted. They can go all day without eating. It feels like a superpower. They lose 20 pounds instantly. And then boom, they just stall out way fatter than they want to be. Because the amount of fat they eat every day equals the amount of fat they burn every day. And they're just in this little stasis. And the way you bust through that plateau is to increase protein and fiber and water and lower energy density and eat less refined fats and eat fewer grams of fat. And then you can kind of reach the next level. And so, yeah, I love the uh, restriction of refined carbs from keto, but I don't like the high energy density fats, the, the butter chugging, the refined fats. Uh, it's just not going to get you all the way to where you want to be, in my opinion. Yeah, it's not going to get you your body composition that you're striving for. Mm-hmm. I got you. Um, and so maybe we could run through an example, Ted, of like, like you got somebody that comes into your clinic, pre-diabetic, 45 years old. Like what kind of prescription are you throwing down in terms of the, their diet? Like, what is, what is it going to look like? Right, right. Well, the first thing you want to do is target protein, right? So every meal centered around protein, every snack centered around protein, uh, protein, protein, protein. So the protein should be the focus every time you eat. Uh, basically, you shouldn't eat until you're hungry enough to eat protein. And then when you do eat, protein should be the priority. It should be the first thing you eat. It should be the centerpiece. Uh, You basically want the leanest proteins you can get because it's very, very easy to add in more non-protein energy. You can throw cheese on top of it or, you know, pour in some like, you know, sauce or something like that. Very easy to add carbs and fats downstream, but it's really hard to take them out if you already started with like the fattiest grain fed ribeye you can find and cooked it in butter. You know what I mean? It's, It's hard to unfat that. So um, my advice to everybody is target protein at every meal. You know, you just want some sort of high quality protein, ideally some sort of lean meat or high quality animal protein 
uh, properly raised, eating what it's supposed to eat. So I love, you know, super lean grass fed beef. I love uh, skinless poultry. I love fish. I love uh, whey powder. I love Greek yogurt. I love any kind of low fat fermented dairy. I love any kind of uh, um, basically meat as long as it's fairly lean. And then that's what you center your meals around. You also want to eat lots of fruit and vegetables. I love low sugar fruits like, you know, cucumbers and tomatoes and peppers and all of that sort of thing. I like any kind of uh, non-starchy above ground vegetable. These are going to give you tons of satiety per calorie because energy density is so low. So you can eat pounds of water and fiber and minerals and micronutrients from all this stuff with hardly any calories. So it's basically lean meat, low sugar fruit, non-starchy green vegetables. You're eating just unlimited amounts of that. And then if you're just still starving for energy um, after eating all of that, you could throw in a little something a little bit carbier, you know, like a sugar, more sugar fruit or a, something a little bit fattier. Um, but you, that's the general prescription for most people right there. And, and you find, Ted, like when you when you prescribe stuff like this, like people, it's sustainable, like people can can stick with it. Uh, no, it's, it's 80% sustainable. It's like 90% sustainable. Mm. Um, you're basically going to cheat on top of this, right? So this is like sort of the, the template. This is sort of the, what your goal is. And then you're pretty much just going to have a slice of pizza or donut right on top of this, which is as long as you're doing like at least an 80, 20, Mm. you know, you're going to, pull that off. You're going to get away with that. Uh, you're going to be able to do that sustainably long-term. You're, you're going to be able to maintain that a hundred percent, like no cheats, perfectly squeaky clean. Nope. I wouldn't even try. Um, you, you pretty much have to plan on, um, deviations from this sort of diet. You know what I mean? But I think that as long as you're, I don't like to say there's good foods and bad foods, but there are foods that are really high in satiety per calorie, which is your fish and salad. Then there's foods that are very low in satiety per calorie, which is like your cookies and your ice cream. And as long as you're targeting the high satiety per calorie foods most of the time, and then letting in a little bit of the low satiety per calorie foods, and you're okay with that, and you can be flexible, then I think most people are going to have success on something like this. I like it. I like it because I think to to me, one of the the keys to success is is realistic goals and and having that sustainability factor. Um, Right. One thing I I forgot to mention that that um, when I was, uh, I think, well, right right before my my wedding, like I put on a bit of weight prior to the game time. And one of the things that I've never seen this before, but I, I, I would call it the cottage cheese diet where right before a meal, I would have like a cup of cottage cheese, like just load up on that bad boy. And then you would find because you were more full, you would eat like way less junk, like way less whatever you were having for supper and uh, extremely effective, you know, and it's, it's the exact same principles you're talking about. Now I think about it, you're loading up on protein, loading up on like the low density, like, you know, there's not much calories in a half a cup of cottage cheese, but it's, it's not, it's, relatively filling or, and, uh, yeah, it gets you, it gets you home. It gets you to achieve that goal of being fuller and, and, and ingesting less calories. Um, so yeah, I think, I think there's some truth to this. You mentioned protein, like for snacks, think of proteins. Like, so what kind of, like for you, if you're between meals and you're, you're, you're craving some, you're, you're hungry. What, what, what do you suggest uh, to throw down? Right. So I love, uh, a uh, low carb and low fat Greek yogurt. So like a, a low fat Greek yogurt that has less sugar in it or uh, even artificially sweetened. So like your too good yo- Greek yogurt or your light and fit Greek yogurt, uh, any uh, Greek yogurt where the protein grams are way higher than the carb grams and the fat grams. Uh, brilliant snack is super high nutrient density, super high satiety per calorie. Uh, most of this stuff is less than one calorie per gram. So you can eat, pounds of it like you can get the giant two pound vat of two good greek yogurt in the store uh it's literally two pounds of food and it's only 400 calories and like 70 or 90 grams of protein it's absolutely insane Mm. so this stuff is crazy good for fat loss it's like a cheat code to fat loss 
Um, uh, other snacks I like, I like low fat string cheese. So your mozzarella string cheese, you know, it has maybe six grams of protein per serving at perhaps two or two and a half grams of fat. Um, super high protein percentage, uh, really, really solid. I love any kind of raw green vegetables. Like I'll eat a bunch of, you know, broccoli or celery or snap peas or something like this, because again, you get an obscene, uh, weight and volume for hardly any calories. Really, really great. Really high type of calorie. Those are some of my favorites right there. Um, yeah, definitely. Wow. Yeah. And those are uh, easy to go to. You ever, what's your take on uh, jerky? I was talking to Rob. He's a big jerky fan. Um, yeah, I think a low sugar jerky is great. Um, it's uh, some of those dried products are not quite as great because energy density is pretty high. Like like pork rinds, for example, they have a really high protein percentage. But uh, since they're dehydrated and all the water's gone, you also get a real pretty high energy density. And that's why I think nobody's getting like shredded out of their minds on pork rinds. You know what I'm saying? Um, <laughs> you don't see a lot of elite bodybuilders just like, you know, pork, just hitting the pork rinds pre-show. Um, but yeah, but I think a low sugar jerky is good. Um, other meat products that I like would be any kind of canned fish like sardines oh, yeah, or yeah kippers or salmon or any of that stuff because uh, that, that was my next question actually within our like we have a solvent wellness group it's like healthcare providers looking at ways to improve like improve health reduce burnout and um one of the t- questions that came up was you know when it comes to a high protein approach like is there is there a way to do a cost effective like when we go in like we go to costco and order and buy our fish it's like mommy comes back with a thousand dollar bill and it's like, God damn, yo, you know, like it's just out of control. Like, you know, like it can be quite expensive to try and eat a, a, like a protein focused meal. So yeah, I'm curious to, if you have any thoughts to, regarding that. Uh, well, OK, I'm going to be totally honest. You can graph out every food in the grocery store versus protein. And it's just a straight line. The more protein in it, the more it's going to cost, period. Um, The the lower the protein and the higher the carbs and the fats, the cheaper it gets. So, like, you can just walk in there and buy, you know, ramen for 25 cents each and these Mm -hmm. bags of potato chips for, like, 50 cents. And uh, carbs and fats are so cheap, they're almost free. You know, you supersize your French fries, it's, like, free. And your soda, it's free. And uh, But, man, you want another burger on your uh, I mean, another piece of meat on your burger, you're going to double the price. Like, you know, yeah. so protein, super, super, super expensive. The other thing is low energy density foods is very expensive. So like getting your fruits and vegetables, the, the lower the energy density, the more it costs. And so you've got the two biggest drivers of satiety per calorie protein percentage and low energy density that are both perfectly linear with cost. And so they're just more and more and more expensive. And then the high energy, the very highest energy density food on the planet, which is like corn oil is, is, you know, just like pennies. So it's the exact opposite of the way it should be. The stuff that makes you the thinnest, the protein and low energy density fruits and vegetables are the most expensive. And the super, super cheap stuff is the ridiculously low protein or no protein, high energy density carbs and fats. And that's why economics is just mercilessly driving obesity forward because, you know, everyone's just buying stuff with their wallet and uh, the stuff that makes you fat is the cheapest. And so it's a total nightmare. So I'm going to be honest. It will absolutely cost more to eat a diet like this. However, you can do it on the cheap relatively cheap. The The cheapest proteins are always ground beef. Of course, unfortunately, you really want the leanest you can get and that costs more. Um, eggs. Uh, and again, you really want to throw in some egg whites to up the protein ratio and that costs more. Um, lentils, pretty good. You can get lentils that are 30, 40% protein and they're dirt cheap. Uh, soybeans, pretty cheap, but again, more expensive than garbage. You know what I'm saying? Uh, canned, some canned meats are pretty inexpensive, like your sardines and your tuna. You can get them pretty cheaply. Uh, so if you're really on a budget, it's ground beef, eggs, cans of tuna, um, lentils, but, uh, I'm not going to lie. It's going to cost you more than just eating, you know, low protein garbage. Yeah. You're up against it basically. Like it's, it's, um, 
it's something you got to invest in. But I, I, I think you and I could both agree at least that it will pay off in dividends for longevity and well-being and overall just feeling good. It's sad because you kind of, you, you know, this is true with your pets, right? Like, you know, if you feed your dog or your cat a really high protein, low carbon, low fat pet food, that's like evolutionary appropriate species appropriate, you know, that they're not going to be as sick and you're not going to have as many vet bills. They're going to live longer. But for some reason, we're like blind to the fact that that happens to humans too. And it's just like completely tied to your food. If you eat high protein, uh, low carb, low fat species, appropriate diet to humans, you're going to get the same good health outcomes that you'd see for your, like your dog or your cat. But I feel like people are more clued into it in the veterinary world, which is weird, which is sad. Yeah. And, uh, but it is, people are up against it though. It, it really is like, it is that spiral. Like you, it is the marketing and then the lower cost to be able to, that is associated with crappier food. Like that's a, that's a powerful force. I'm curious. Cause I mean, you, you and I are both into fitness and you know, when you hear about some of the recommendations to, uh, for people that are looking to, you know, either increase their lean uh, muscle mass, like the protein recommendations are pretty, um, how do I put it? Like you need a lot of protein. If you, you know, if, especially if you're looking to properly gain. And so I wondering if you had any tricks of the trade, like I, you mentioned egg whites, which I thought was a bit genius. Like, I don't, I'm not sure where you're putting, adding your egg whites, but any other like tricks of the trade that you've been using to try and up your protein game? Yeah, absolutely. And mostly this is just from following bodybuilders and stalking uh, fitness aesthetic athletes who have figured this out, you know, a hundred years ago. But uh, I think some of the cheat codes to really up the protein are either protein powders, which could be whey powder, casein powder, soy powder, whatever, any kind of powder. Um, and then also your low fat dairy is basically a cheat code in general, which is your Greek yogurt, your low fat cottage cheese, like you were talking about. All of these are amazing. Um, and then egg whites, egg whites, it's one of the highest weight in volume pure protein foods on the face of the earth. So technically it's the very highest satiety per calorie food of all. And you will actually see your bodybuilders and fitness models in the weeks leading up to show prep. They're eating like just nothing but egg whites. I mean, I, I see these bodybuilders eating literally just an egg white scramble and a cucumber or something like that. And it ends up just, it's, it's super extreme and not sustainable, but it lets you know directionally what you should be doing to pull off these extreme fat loss, body recomposition changes. And so it's very, very powerful stuff. And just stock your Instagram models and look at what they're eating and you'll see what I'm talking about. Yeah. So like, are you, when you do, like, are you a gram per kilo, like for yourself personally? Like, what, what are you aiming to, to hit up? Right, right, right. So, uh, like, my favorite is a gram per pound of ideal body weight based on your height. You know, so I'm 5'10". I'm ideal body weight for my height is 160. So, I'm eat, trying to eat at least 160 gram, um, grams per pound. Uh, I you're, you're in Canada, and, and unfortunately, none of we us do down pounds here. Too. We do pounds, too. We do pounds, too. Oh, okay, good. Like, because we're metric morons or whatever. But yeah, yeah, basically 2.2 grams per kilo. Uh, for me, that would be a really good starting point for most people. And you actually want to nudge that up a little if you're really, really aiming for aggressive recomp, maybe 1.2 grams per pound, all the way up to 1.5 grams per pound. But a really good middle of the road starting point for most people is a gram per pound of what you would ideally weigh for your height, not what you actually weigh. Mm -hmm. which is, you know, uh, sadly, like the average male in America right now weighs 198 pounds mm -hmm. uh, and they're five foot eight or five foot nine, I think. Yeah. Average male in America, five, nine, uh, 40 inch waist and they weigh 198 pounds, which is mm -hmm. messed up. <laughs> it is messed up. It's, I mean, especially what, you know, being a uh, frontline COVID uh you know, seeing all the COVID patients and, and the ties to metabolic health and obesity is unbelievable. And yeah, when you hear stats like that, it's, it's, it's crazy. It really is crazy. Um, so regarding 
just to tie some things together, like I'm just thinking about people in my audience, like they, a lot of them we've, we've heard us talking about, you know, low carb keto. And uh, another one that they, you think about is, is fasting. And I don't know if you, just I'm curious to hear your thoughts just because, you you know, you obviously have given a lot of thought in the, the nutrition space. And the reason I brought a lot of attention to it personally, one, because I, I do it on a regular basis, like the time restricted eating, but also two, uh, when it comes to sustainability, it seemed like a good, like a, like it's sustainable for many of us. And so I'm, I'm curious to, to, to hear your thoughts on, on fasting or if you incorporate it into your life or among your patients. Yeah. So fasting is for me, it's definitely on this U shaped curve where um, the worst would just be eating, you know, all day, you know, 24 hours a day. And um, that's on the one end of the U-shaped curve. But also bad for me is extended fasting because with the, you know, 24 hours or multi-day fast, I see people basically 50% of what they lose is lean mass. Mm. Um, they get super, super hungry when they do go to refeed. They're just eating like a whole jar of peanut butter. And so extended fasting is like the ultimate yo-yo diet. I see people lose and then regain the same five pounds over and over and over forever. And unless they somewhere in there figured out how to get a higher protein percentage when they do refeed, uh, they're pretty much going nowhere. So um, I, but I do like a light intermittent fasting. I like, you know, 12 to 16 hours where you're just pushing it just enough to make it more convenient. So you might only have to make two meals and a snack every day instead of three, or you just get to the more comfortable to skipping meals. So you don't feel like you have to eat to the clock or eat the second you're out of bed in the morning. And, and I like people to push into that hunger just enough. So they get really in touch with hunger and fullness. Like, Oh, Hey, I am really hungry. I could actually eat a skinless chicken breast right now. You know what I mean? So, so a light intermittent fast gives you a, some benefits, I think. Um, it allows you to get really in touch with hunger and fullness. It allows you to eat um, maybe less frequently, but larger, more satisfying meals. Uh, I think that, you know, 16-8, in my opinion, is just the sweet spot for the average person. If I just had to prescribe one thing to everybody on the planet, it would be like a 16-8 intermittent fast. Um, I don't recommend extended fasting. I've never told anyone to fast 24 hours or beyond. I just don't like it. I, I feel like you get all these diminishing returns where you're just losing half uh, fat mass, half lean mass. You're super starving. When you refeed, you're going to make some bad choices, need a whole bag of Doritos. And there's just some downsides, I think. And I don't really see all the people who are super successful when it comes to body comp that I'm trying to emulate. I don't really see them utilizing these extended fasts. And I think there's a really good reason for that. Yeah. You know, what, what uh, opened my eyes was the, um, I don't know where I read it or listened to it, but it was, it was, as you said, like a lot of these people doing extended fasts start to lose their lean body mass. And like the whole, I mean, your whole game plan, in my opinion, is like to amp up your lean body mass, like improve your metabolic rate, um, just add to your like avoid being like you know as you age like you avoiding frailty like all these wins by making sure that your lean body mass is is uh is proper so yeah that when i heard that that's when it was like a light in my head saying like mm, you know these like 48 hours like i i personally have never done anything more than 24 hours and uh and it was just eye opening. It was just kind of like, you know what? Maybe we're just taking this a little bit too extreme. Like we do it. It seems like everything these days. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and like you look at, you know, like, like Peter Atia, um, he recently just slowly backed out of the room on these extended fasts. You know, he was doing uh, three days a month and a week every quarter and, uh, basically doubled his body fat percentage without uh, and and lost lean mass uh, in a year or two of doing that, and he's oh, just right. really backed down from that big time. And and I don't want to say that I knew it all along because <laughs> I really didn't, but it was just fascinating to see because that was not the outcome he thought he was going to get. Yeah. And uh, he publishes a lot of self data on his insulin uh, levels and body fat. And he clearly got a lot worse doing extended fasting. It's just a cornerstone of his routine. So I'm really not recommending that at all. Yeah. No, I, I, uh, 
I'm glad to hear that. Um, so Ted, like you, like your, your message, I think makes a lot of sense. Like, I, I think once again, the bead like diet, when you think about it, just overlaps so many principles that, that uh, make sense in, t- in terms of healthy eating and healthy living. H- how do you like, how do you amp up this message? How do you reach the message? Like we, we try and reach out to healthcare providers to be able to provide them like ways that, you know, to educate them on these, these, on these, you know, these approaches, but are you having much success? Like I know at an individual level you are, but like, are you able to get the word out like outside of, you know, you know, uh, uh, conventional walls? <laughs> nope. <laughs> yeah. So, like, like on an individual basis, I'm, I have, you know, I've just have countless patients who've literally cured their type two diabetes. And if you can increase your lean mass and decrease your fat mass enough, you'll basically cure every type two diabetic who has intact beta cells. Um, for sure. And so I have tons of anecdotes and success and stories and all that sort of thing, but that's all just like super niche and fringe and uh, word of mouth. And uh, like in the bigger picture, um, you know, I don't really see any of my colleagues that terribly interested in this or any other dietary approach. They're mostly just talking about GLP-1 receptor agonists and uh, mostly pharma, uh, pharmacology and surgical procedures. And, you know, and then I see most of my dietitian colleagues mostly talking about calories. I mean, yeah, to be honest, they're getting a little bit better in terms of higher protein, higher fiber, lower glycemic, uh, uh, diet and that kind of thing. So I can't be too hard on them, but, um, I would say that I'm not really seeing, (laughs) I, what I see way more of is just the infighting between carbs and fats or the infighting between plants versus animals, both of which I feel like are massive distractions. And like you, you really want to be right down the middle on both of those. And it's just completely confusing the heck out of everybody. I mean, like nobody, literally nobody knows what the heck they're supposed to eat as a result of the plant versus animal war. Yeah. I'm just, I'm laughing because it's so true. Like if you, like just imagine you're a consumer that's that uh, you're a neutral consumer that's coming in saying like, you know what, I'm 20 pounds overweight. I'm pre-diabetic. And I want to look at trying to figure out the best approach to this. You can find any theory you want. You can watch a Netflix documentary on on plant based diet. You can watch, uh, you know, uh, endless uh, sources to tell you why you should be carnivore. Like it's it is impossible, mm-hmm. you know. And it's I just I think you're right. We're we're doing the world a bit of a disservice by like by being a bit tribal this way and. Um, and and if I've learned anything too, uh, Ted, and I don't know if you feel this is the same way, to a certain degree, you gotta like really personalize it, like really kind of take like like cater to your to the the person in front of you. Like if they're mm-hmm. car, if they're very carb centric, maybe it's not about re- taking off all carbs; it's just reducing carbs or selecting the carbs that make more sense. Like you know, like I, I, I do think we we need to be less tribal for sure. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Amen to that. The, um, the other thing I was going to quickly uh, ask you too, is like, cause you know, when you say you, you've re- like, you're seeing patients come off their diabetic meds, like what kind of time frame are you seeing when they're, when, when you're doing this? Oh yeah. I mean, like, you know, I've, I have patients who uh, in three months, they'll go from an A1C of 10 to an A1C of five with no oh, meds. Shit. And basically I, uh, you give me three months of someone just really hammering the protein and uh, exercise, uh, you can pretty much uh, get a pretty solid start at reversing diabetes. I mean, I would say that it's um, a bit aggressive to say that every type 2 diabetic could cure themselves in three months, but I've certainly seen that. Like, that's yeah. not impossible at all. You basically have to immediately pretend you're a bodybuilder. Like you have to roll out of bed in the morning and say, okay, now I'm a bodybuilder. I'm trying to eat the highest lean mass, the lowest fat mass. If I were a bodybuilder, what would I eat for breakfast? Would I just have a, a Trente Frappuccino and some like Lucky Charms? Uh, no, I would have an egg white scramble with like two eggs 
a whole cup of egg whites and a bunch of non-starchy flavor vegetables like mushrooms and peppers and spinach. And, and I would just get this huge satiety per calorie from that. I'd have tons of protein, hardly any carbs or any fats. Then what would I do? Well, I'd go do my 40 minutes of fasted cardio on the stair climber. And then I'd go to the gym and lift weights for an hour um, with a super high level of intensity, you know, and try to hit failure. And then I would have like a lunch of like chicken breast and broccoli. And like, if you just have this mindset that you are a bodybuilder and you're trying to get the ultimate recomp uh, and just, you know, the diet's just nothing but lean protein and fiber, super low carb and low fat, and you're just optimally hitting cardio and resistance exercise, you could probably get most type two diabetics off of their meds and down to a reasonable A1C in about three months. And, and I really think that you could replace pretty much any doctor with a good uh, bikini competitor coach or bodybuilding coach or someone who just told people like how to do it, how to work out, what to eat. Um, they'd get way better results than like your doctors with a prescription pad and a bunch of drugs. Yeah. I, I really like the idea of pulling away from the meds, especially like once people start going on insulin, like, you know, it really is a, a tough circle to get out of like, you know, you're, 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 you're giving a fat storing medication to try and maintain your, your blood sugar. And it's just that vicious cycle starts, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, like I, I prescribe all the drugs, of course, obviously, but man, when I have some really overweight person come in and they're injecting like U 500, a couple, you know, maybe several hundred units of U 500 a day, but their C peptide is like six or something, you know, and they just clearly have tons of insulin already. Uh, it's so cringeworthy. That's like the most, that is the cringiest moment for every doctor out there when we're pumping people full of high, you know, potency insulins and they're already making a ton of insulin. And that you want to get people off of just as fast as you possibly can. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. No, uh, absolutely. Um, I mean, one of the things that, you know, we're talking about amplifying this message. You say, if I'm not mistaken, you're working a little bit with diet doctor. No. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, You know, I love the diet doctor guys. Uh, Dr. Einfeld is awesome. Dr. Brescher is awesome. These guys are, um, really, really smart, really going places. And I'm pretty much just like, uh, I'm like, uh, trying to steer them in a little bit more of a protein fiber, satiety calorie mindset, a little bit less, just pure keto and dogmatic low carb. Now they're going to keep all of their keto stuff because there are people who need to be uh, in ketosis for neurological problems and stuff like that. There are people who are super successful on just by only just keeping the carbs really low. But I think there's a lot of other people there uh, out there that would benefit from like just a moderate carb reduction and then maybe getting some refined fats lower too at the same time and then upping protein Mm. and kind of more of a middle of the road approach. And uh, I'm just, uh, I'm just involved mostly trying to amp up those sides of the, of the story. Yeah. Cause I mean, their reach, I was, I was blessed enough to go on their show and then, uh, had uh, Brett on the show too. Um, their reach is massive and they're only going to get bigger. And so I, I think honestly, Ted, you, you uh, uh, working with them is a huge plus. And, you know, and just once again, just having a little bit more tools in the, in the, in the, in the shed to just provide our patients and, 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 and folks out there with tools to get leaner and to, to, to get healthier and to, and the beautiful thing too, is like, you feel better, you move better, you live longer. You know what I'm saying? Let's do mm-hmm. this. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, Ted, I, I am enamored by this, having a chat with you. Like I, I, I learned a ton. I think this is going to be super useful to our audience because I think once again, you pull it all together with thinking about how much protein intake we're, we're, we're putting on our plate. And it's, and as I mentioned, this could only be benefit. Actually, one thing I got to address this before we go, we'll go off the show because this comes up all the time is uh, kidney function. I, sh- I can't believe I forgot to mention this. What are your thoughts on like high protein and, and uh, renal dysfunction? Like, your, right, right, right. Uh, so, 
We have a, a number of meta-analyses now that definitively show that protein does not damage healthy kidneys at all. And in mm. fact, high protein diets seem to be protective against kidney problems. So protein is just basically amazing for people with healthy kidneys. Now, when you have uh, kidney dysfunction of some sort, uh, there's a tiny, tiny fragment of the kidney failure population who possibly maybe might benefit from protein restriction. And this is basically males only with primary glomerular disease, which is like 3% of everyone with kidney failure. But the, the vast majority of your kidney failure people, the 97% that are caused by diabetes or high blood pressure, protein restriction has never been shown to be of any benefit whatsoever for any of those people. So restricting protein just because you have a kidney issue is borderline mythical. And of course, you have to talk to your doctor and work with your doctor. But the vast majority of persons with kidney dysfunction uh, are not benefiting from any protein restriction and probably going to benefit from higher protein percentage diets because the same low protein diet that got them metabolic syndrome and over fatness and uh, high blood pressure and type 2 diabetes and the things that cause the kidney dysfunction are, are really driven forward by low protein diets where you're forced to overeat calories just to get enough protein to not be hungry. So by increasing your protein percentage, your absolute protein intake might not go up very much, but your absolute intake of carbs and fats is going to go way down because you're just not as hungry at fewer calories. So I think uh, the protein restriction message is, is honestly probably done more harm than good in the bigger picture. Yeah, no, I, I, I hear what you're saying, Ted. Once again, thank you. Thank you for agreeing to come on uh, the Quadcast on Self and Healthcare. We really appreciate you taking the time. And honestly, keep doing what you're doing, man. Like, let's continue to get that message out there, getting our people healthier and get them living longer. And this is, once again, a great tool to be able to, to provide to our patients. So thanks again, Ted. Oh, thank you, man. Thanks for having me. And you keep up the good work, too. Oh, appreciate it. Okay, Nation, I hope you enjoyed that tremendous episode with Ted Naiman. Dr. Ted, for real. Listen, follow us on Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook at Quadcast. Leave any comments at Quadcast99 at gmail.com. Check out Solving Wellness. Got to do it. Supporting healthcare providers, reducing burnout. Let's go. Solvingwellness.com. Leave us that five-star rating. You know you want to. You know what I'm saying? On iTunes or Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. And you know what? Better yet, tell a friend. Get a, get that word of mouth. We're trying to change that boogie, yo, for real. Thanks so much for listening, guys. And we're going to connect again real quick. Peace.